want to welcome you to Central this morning where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that this morning, that's what you experience here. The love of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, changing you when you're in his presence. Last week, we started a new sermon series called At the Table with Jesus, and we're examining what the Lord Jesus does as he invites people to him over mealtimes and and through the hospitality of Jesus, what happens in someone's life. And all kinds of sinners, as we saw last week, all kinds are are welcomed into Jesus' presence, but something more happens. All kinds of sinners are not only welcomed, but are forged into a community, brought together into a family. How does that happen? How does it happen that we can join together with all kinds of other sinners, some of you may may be very different than we are, and yet joined together in one community, one family of God? Let's pray and seek God's answer to that question. Father, we pray that you would send your spirit and open our eyes that we see Jesus Open our ears that we hear your word and open our hands and our hearts that we might receive your love and offer your love to others. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36, hear God's word. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with anointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. It may be challenging for us to connect to the scandal of this story, 
We're cross-cultural readers. We don't know as much about first century Jewish culture. And so it may be hard for us to realize this was a wildly inappropriate and scandalous story. So I want to kind of put it maybe in in our day and see if you can connect to it here. Imagine that you've been invited to a dinner party here in Clayton. And all the leading citizens of Clayton are here, the leaders, the city leaders, and you are thrilled to be there. And there's an out-of-town guest that's been invited to come too. He's the main attraction. You see this person on the news. You're intrigued by them. This is someone you think, I would probably like to get to know that person. And so all of you are mingling around this wonderful house before the party starts, and everyone begins to take their seats at the table, and then the doorbell rings. Now, this is interesting because the host had just said, everyone who's invited has has arrived, and so time to take your seats and enjoy this wonderful meal. But the doorbell rang, and the host gets up quizzically and goes to the door and opens it to find a woman standing there, and her blouse is three sizes too small, and her skirt is even tighter and shorter. She's done up. I mean, she's got makeup and perfume. She's wearing stilettos. And and she shoves her way past the host into the dinner party. And that's when all the murmuring begins around the table. Who is this? Why, Why is this person here? Because everyone suspects what she is. She's a prostitute. And yet here she is. She's barged into this, into this dinner party, and this woman walks straight up to this honored out-of-town guest, and, and he gets up, and she gives him a very close, long embrace. A little bit too long, you know? And then she leans in and whispers something in his ear. Are you uncomfortable yet? Are you uncomfortable with what's happening around this table? And everyone begins to think, she clearly knows this guy. How, how, how might she know? Is he one of her customers? How would you feel in that moment at that dinner party? Are you uncomfortable? Would you feel scandalized just for having been there with all these other leaders in town? And you think, what are they going to think about me because I'm here and this is happening? And that's exactly the scene that Luke points and paints for us here. It was wildly inappropriate in Jesus' day, and yet this was a scene in which Jesus was incredibly comfortable. He was really comfortable in this inappropriate place, just like he's uncomfortable in the inappropriate places of my life and the inappropriate places of yours. It's clear when we come upon this scene, Jesus is that focused guest, and this Pharisee, Simon, has invited him to a dinner party to recline at his table, verse 36 says. But don't imagine that they've come in to sit at a long oak table with nice chairs and their feet are under the table. That's not how it happened in Jesus' day. Instead, there was a a couch of sorts, a, a, a series of pillows formed into the shape of a U. And in the center of that open U is where the food would be placed. And all the guests would would recline. They would lie down on their side with their heads facing the food and their feet pointed out. It's, It's a little bit like a starfish. You know, everybody's head's in the middle and their feet are hanging out on on this couch. And uh, um, oftentimes this happens in a courtyard. And in houses in Jerusalem in those days, in Galilee in those days, there would be a hallway that someone could see from the outside into the courtyard. 
And so here this woman is, she walks by this leading Pharisee's house and she sees a dinner party going on and she sees Jesus in there. And she evidently had heard him preach. She had heard him teach. She had been moved by what he had said in all of his teaching and preaching. And so she decided she's going into the courtyard. She's going to crash the party. She rings the doorbell, so to speak, and the flavor of the dinner party completely changes. At the table of Jesus, what do we find? What do we find in that dinner party? First, at the table with Jesus, we find scandalous receptions. At Jesus' table, there are scandalous receptions. I said this is a a cross-cultural exercise for us to understand this party. But what you have to know is everything she does is inappropriate. Every single thing this woman does is inappropriate in her culture. First, Luke calls her, verse 37, a woman of the city who was a sinner. Every single Greek scholar suggests this was a euphemism for prostitute. Everybody knew who this woman was and what she did. So here's a prostitute who walks into a Pharisee's house, the religious gatekeepers in the community. That's, that's problem number one. She walked in uninvited, and then she begins to do really intimate and forward things as if she were the one hosting the party. Because Simon, the one who was hosting the party, was supposed to have had a servant wash Jesus' feet when he came in, but that didn't happen. It was an insult. It's intended as an insult. But this woman began to wash his feet with her tears. Simon would have offered all the other guests a fellowship greeting of a kiss on the cheek, but he didn't offer Jesus a kiss on the cheek. Another insult. But this woman was kissing Jesus' feet, his unwashed feet, and yet she's kissing them. Simon didn't anoint Jesus. That was a ritual they would use, kind of like washing your hands. But this woman took her most prized possession, an an alabaster jar of ointment, which prostitutes wore on a string around their neck. It made them smell nice. And she broke the neck on that alabaster jar and poured it on Jesus' feet. Her most expensive prized possession, she broke it and she poured it out on him right there but what was really scandalous was what she did with her hair you probably recognize that in certain middle eastern countries women keep their hair covered it was even more so in jesus's day in fact in the first century culture a man could divorce his wife and not have to offer her any financial compensation if she ever went outside their home with her hair unbound a woman never ever let her hair down in public. Never. Why? Because it was something that was reserved for marital intimacy. On her wedding night, a a bride would, for the very first time, let her hair down for her husband to see, and it was was a pledge of loyalty in that culture. It was was a giving of self. It was a gesture of of being known and being accepted by this person. It It was a place of being unbound and exposed before the one who loves you. Taking her hair down was an expression of making herself vulnerable. We could even say it was a surrender. 
into this relationship where I'm going to be known as I truly am. And women never did that in public. But this woman came into this Pharisee's courtyard and let her hair down. She surrendered before Jesus in this room of self-righteous Pharisee men. And in a very real way, she was publicly giving herself over to Jesus the one whom she had heard preach and talk about this grace and this forgiveness that can be given to to women like her. And so she submitted herself to Jesus there in front of all of these people. She came to him in the most intimate way she knew how to do. Does it make you uncomfortable? Is it too raw? Is that too intimate a space? It certainly was for Simon. said in verse 39, If this man were truly a prophet, I mean, they were testing him. They were wanting to see who he was. If this man were truly a messenger from God, he would have known what kind of woman this is. He would have known who is touching her. I mean, for crying out loud, this is prophet 101 stuff. If you know what kind of woman this is, not only do you recognize she doesn't belong here, but you surely wouldn't let her touch you. But Jesus did. He knew exactly what kind of woman she was. And he could have told her to cover up. He he could have said, look, what you're doing is really inappropriate and I'm uncomfortable. What will all of these other leaders think? Jesus could have sent her away. He could have shamed her and said, you don't belong. He could have kept his distance like Simon did. But he didn't. Instead, Jesus welcomed her. Jesus received her. Jesus accepted her. Jesus delighted in her to the incredible discomfort of all the religious people around the table. And that's what Jesus does sometimes. He, sometimes he is really, really disruptive with his grace. Sometimes he steps on our toes as he's welcoming Someone into his life, someone into his family, someone who we may be tempted to think in our flesh, I'm not sure you belong here. Now, religious people like us, we really love a really good testimony story, don't we? We love to hear people get up and and tell the story of, of, here's all the things I used to do. I used to be really bad. I, I debased myself. I tried all these things. I did all these things. And the more lurid, the better. But the thing in common is in every one of them, there's a turn, right? That's how I used to be, but look at me now. Of course, there's stories to be celebrated. Those testimonies are to be honored because Jesus does transform lives. But what Jesus is doing here at this table is he's celebrating and open-heartedly welcoming to this table a woman who was still in the middle of her lurid life. Someone who hadn't broken with it, but someone who comes here full of what she had been doing. And she felt comfortable coming to Jesus. Because Jesus is the friend of people who've made a mess of their lives. Jesus welcomes people who've made messes, who've who've done all kinds of crazy things in their lives, and even are still in the grip of it. Jesus says, come Maybe that's you today. 
Maybe you're here this morning and you look at your life and you, I, I can't believe what I've done. I started out so well, but look how my life has turned out. I can't believe it. And even worse, if anybody knew the truth about me, they wouldn't love me. They wouldn't welcome me. If anyone knew what I do in secret, surely they would send me out of every dinner party. But not Jesus. Jesus is the one who welcomes sinners. Jesus is the one whose hands are open to people whose lives are busted up and broken down. Jesus is a friend of sinners. Sometimes in Jesus' church, we forget that we're supposed to be too. Jesus welcomed her to his table. Would someone like her be welcome at ours? For somebody who's sin is really different from yours and and they make you feel uncomfortable you really aren't sure that you like spending time with them and 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 they're still caught in this sin and yet jesus welcomes them do we he welcomes sexual sinners who still fail he welcomes angry sinners who who still lose it sometimes He welcomes sinners who've been trapped in all kinds of sin and they have been trapped so long they have no idea how to get out. They have no idea how I'm supposed to behave. They're welcome at Jesus's table. Are we open-heartedly welcoming as a community of Christ? It's the scandal of Jesus. The scandal of Jesus is his table is welcomed uh, it finds, people find welcome at his table when they don't belong in religious spaces, according to some religious people. It's true for all of us to recognize we live in a graceless world. We live in a world filled with harsh judgment. And the scandal of Christ, the scandal of Jesus, is he is the one who has grace for the graceless. Our arms, our church doors, our tables to be open and hospitable to people who may not be very much like us but whom Jesus welcomes at his table at the table with Christ there are scandalous receptions but second at the table with Jesus we find some commonplace rejections here Simon was the host and yet his behavior was to reject Jesus and to reject this woman Maybe in ways that we may be tempted to reject people we're not comfortable being around as well when we're caught up in our flesh. The interesting thing, though, is that Simon was interested. Remember I told you last week that an invitation to a meal was an invitation into relationship, into some kind of spiritual fellowship, and Simon had invited Jesus into his home. He was interested to some degree. He was curious about what this rabbi had to say. He was interested in associating with this this popular teacher, this good teacher, which he calls him in verse 40. And that's what the Pharisees were supposed to do. The Pharisees were supposed to be like. They, They were in charge of the religious environment. Pharisees were the ones who had the pride of place. Pharisees were in the one that had the religious position in charge of the community of the Jews. And they didn't want to risk it. Remember Nicodemus? Nicodemus was a Pharisee and he went to see Jesus when? At night. (laughs) So he couldn't be seen, couldn't be detected. 
this Pharisee was interested, but he wasn't so much interested in being inconvenienced. He was interested in, in, in meeting Jesus, but not if it meant associating with the kinds of people like this woman. If being with people like that is the cost, then maybe I'm really not ready for it. It's a common rejection of Jesus. If he's with people like that, I'm not sure I want to be with him. This is how it connects in our world. Maybe you've heard people say, maybe you've even thought before, what really matters, what really counts in this life is if you're a good person. You ever heard that before? What really matters is if I'm a good person. And, and I think that's what God wants most. And he, he, wants, he wants me to be with good people. And he, what matters is really if I'm a good person. But Jesus takes exactly the opposite view. This woman was not a good person. And what truly mattered was that she loved him. What mattered is that she knew she needed him. What mattered was she knew that she was a sinner in need of the forgiveness that this man provided. Do you know that? Do you know that what matters is not whether you've been a good enough person and you can add up your good and it's more than your bad and in the balance it all comes out on the good side. That's not what matters. What matters is do we know the truth about ourselves that we are sinners and we desperately need a savior. Jesus told a parable. We're going to get to it in just a moment, but I love verse 44. It may be my favorite verse in this whole story. It says, Jesus turned toward the woman. So he's looking at this woman and yet he speaks to Simon. And you get the picture? He turns to her and he says to him, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Do you really see her, Simon? Because when Simon looked at her, all he saw was guilt. He saw a depraved person. He saw a dirty person. He saw a lawbreaker. He saw someone who wasn't a good person. So we could say that although he looked at her, Maybe he really didn't see her at all. All Simon could see was her sin. And sometimes maybe we're tempted in the same space. All we can see is someone's sin, something on the outside. We, we can't see what's going on in their heart or their life. And how easy is it for us to label someone with their sin and make them very uncomfortable in religious spaces? Do we really see the other person. So of course, we see their depravity. But do we really see their dignity before God? Do we recognize that they're made in the image of God and worthy of respect because of who made them? No matter how much of a mess they've made of their life, they're made to be like God. And they're worthy of respect and dignity. And yet sometimes all we can do is label depravity. It's not who we want to be. But in our flesh and in our old man, sometimes that's how we view other sinners. It really all boils down to a failure of love. A failure to love others as we have been loved by Jesus. So how do we bridge that gap? How do we go from, I only want to be around people who are like me, to the open-hearted, open welcome of Jesus. 
How does that happen to us? How do we walk that path to becoming more like Jesus in our lives, more like Jesus in our church family, more like Jesus at our tables, and have our tables be a reflection of his? That's the final point this morning. At the table with Jesus, we find the necessary ingredient to sincere community. And here it is. In a graceless world, we find strength for offering grace when we remember that we have received grace. That's what will bring change into a community. When I remember that I have received the same grace that I do not deserve, it pushes us into relationships with other sinners who don't deserve grace either. Verse 41, maybe it was a little bit uncomfortable. I would imagine it is when Jesus says, I have something to say. I bet that was an uncomfortable moment. He told a story, verse 41. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And this is a simple parable. There's three characters. There's a big debtor, there's a little debtor, and then there's the creditor. It's a simple story. And the one who owes the big debt is the sinful woman in the Bible Often debt is a metaphor for our sin, our debt of sin before God, our debt of rebellion before God. So the the big sinner, the big debtor is this woman, but the other man in the story is also in debt to God. Did you realize they both were in debt? And neither one had the power to pay back their debt? It's a metaphor in the Bible Each one of us is in debt to our creator because of our rebellion, because of our sin. All of us are in debt, and nobody has enough goodness to pay it back. Nobody has enough good to to cover our debt. No one can do it. It's As one one pastor put it like this, it's, it's like asking, how dead is dead? If I fall off of a cliff and I die... I'm just as dead as if I died in a car accident, right? There's not varying degrees of dead. There's really no such thing as mostly dead, although it's funny. You either are or you aren't. It's the same with our debt of sin. We're either guilty before God or we're not. We're either dead in our sin or not. And seeking to compare the degree to which I'm indebted versus you is a fool's game, (laughs) It's a ridiculous game that we play before a perfectly holy God to say, well, you owe God a little bit more than I do, so it works out better for me. That's a fool's game. We all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Apostle Paul says. We all are dead in our trespasses and in our sins, and no one is alive to God unless Jesus makes us alive to God. His point here in this story is this prostitute is a sinner, Yep, but so are you, Pharisee. So am I, and so are you. And the woman who receives a welcome, the woman who receives forgiveness is the one who recognizes her condemnation, her desperate need before God. Jesus says to her in verse 47, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. It's amazing. We know the fuller story, don't we? 
We know that Jesus didn't just wipe away her sin. Her debt had to be paid. Her default had to be covered somehow. And Jesus has done it himself as he went to the cross for sinners like her and like you and me. He covered the debt of her condemnation and judgment by giving his own life in her place on the cross. And he does it for you and for me too. Anyone who says, Lord, I am a desperately wicked sinner and I need your grace. I need your forgiveness because I deserve your condemnation. Will you be my savior? Anyone who prays that prayer receives the gift of life and the gift of forgiveness because Jesus died the death we should have died. And how could we not bow in outrageous gratitude for what Jesus has done? So who do you see when you look in the mirror? You stand there and you're brushing your teeth in the morning. Do you see? Do you see yourself? Do you see one who is just indebted with this pile of sin that is so high and you can never get past it? Is that all you see of yourself? Or do you see one who's had all of that guilt lifted by the work of Jesus' cross and his resurrection. Who are you? What do you see when you see yourself? But listen to Jesus, verse 47. I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. That's the secret of sincere community. That's it right there. Love toward God and love toward others is a response to how forgiven you feel yourself to be, how forgiven you perceive yourself to be. In our world, we love to blame. We love to pass the blame. We love to accuse other people. But when we are in the middle of our blame shifting, it should be like a red light on the dashboard of our souls saying, look at the cross, look at the cross, look at the cross. Because at the cross, we see ourselves to be needy sinners, but we also grasp we're completely forgiven. And when we see both of those things put together in the cross, then our love for Jesus explodes. And our willingness to extend ourselves into relationship with fellow sinners will be welcomed. The power to love comes from the cross when we see what we've been given, when we see what we've been forgiven, and we see what Jesus has done for you and for me. Let's turn it around really quickly. Where might you be struggling to forgive this morning? Where are you in relationship with someone? I'm not sure I want to be around them anymore. It's possible. This is not the answer in every occasion, but is it possible that you're having trouble because you're unwilling to see yourself as a desperately needy sinner, just as needy as the person you're having trouble forgiving? Is it possible you're not willing to see yourself in the same boat? It's a graceless world out there. And the only way that we will be people who give grace is when we are sure that we have received it that we've received it from Jesus. That's a secret. 
of welcoming others to our tables, welcoming others into our church, welcoming others into our lives, the more you see your own debt of sin and the more you see the magnitude of God's grace for you, then the more enabled you will be to love fellow sinners. Or like this woman who let her hair down, the more you surrender The more you surrender your life to Jesus, the more you let your hair down in submission to Jesus, then the less the master of your reputation controls your life. The more you see your need and see how Jesus is the answer, the freer you will be to work for real community with other people. I'll close with this. Look around. I want you to take a moment just look around the sanctuary this morning. Just just look around. Do you see a sinner? Probably so. <laughs> Do you see a sinner at the end of your pointed finger? <laughs> John, Jane, Tom, Tina, if they knocked on your door and wanted to come in, would you really see them as Jesus sees them? The secret to community is to say yes. I see them covered in the same gracious blood of Jesus that covers me. So let's walk together following him. That's the secret of community. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts to live and love like this. We thank you for your tenderness and your kindness that you've welcomed us to your table. Make us a people who more and more Live as the men and women you've made us to be in Christ and welcome fellow sinners to the table with you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.